the name of Jesus, amen. Dear friends in Christ, our gospel lesson is only 13 verses long, and yet there is so much happening in there, so much scripture that is fulfilled. Jesus comes to the plains of Jericho, an important place in Israelite history. It is near the time of the Passover, and he goes to become king, coronated in Jerusalem as he dies for your sin. All these things are fulfilled in this short gospel lesson. Will you see it? Will you believe who Christ is? Will you trust him? Or will you be blinded? Unable to see? To understand all the things happening, we need to do a little bit of historical background. Don't worry, it's only 1,400 years of history that we need to cover. Hopefully your morning's free. Ready or not, here we go. The kingdom of Israel had its roots in the working of God. God led the Israelites throughout their entire existence. From the time of Abraham, when God called him from Haran, all the way to the time of the Exodus with Moses, God ruled his people as king, and he cared for them. And he loved them, even when they didn't understand it or believe it. And for the nation of Israel, their founding, in one sense, takes place the same place our gospel lesson does, on the plains of Jericho. God is leading his people into the promised land where they will be his chosen people, people chosen to bear the savior of the entire world. God has promised them a land and brings them into that land. As they prepare to cross the Jordan, God renews his promise with them. Now that they number as the stars in heaven, God says to them, every place the sole of your feet will tread, I have given you, just as I promised. So the Israelites crossed the Jordan River on dry ground and entered the plains of Jericho. They've come into the land to conquer it, to make it their own. And the first thing that they do as they enter their land, bent on conquering, they celebrate the Passover. They remember 40 years earlier when they crossed not the Jordan River on dry ground, but the Red Sea with a wall of water on either side and Pharaoh being destroyed. They celebrate the Passover. And then they begin to conquer. Then they make the land their own. And God's with them the whole way. 
The angel of the Lord appears to Joshua as soon as they finish the Passover meal. And that's when they know God is with them. That God is their ruler. That God will give the land to them. Many years later, after the land had been conquered enough, so the people thought, they don't like the idea of God being their ruler any longer. They go to the prophet Samuel and they beg him, give us a king. Samuel says, God is your king. And the people say, no, we want a man who's king. A human king, like everybody else has. They had, as God's word says, rejected the Lord. But God gives them a man king anyways. Saul, handsomest of all the people of Israel, appointed king. If only handsomeness was the important prerequisite for being a good ruler. Saul is anointed to become king, and he goes to be coronated. Guess where? The plains of Jericho. It's there on the plains of Jericho, the same place Joshua stood to conquer the land that the Israelites receive their first king, Saul. That their nation becomes a nation just like all the other ones on earth, with bureaucracy and armies and government and taxes and all the challenges that come with those things. Saul may have been handsome, but his faith was lacking. And so God rejects him as king only a few chapters after he's coronated on the plains of Jericho. Saul would eventually die in battle and be hung from the walls of a Philistine city. But our Old Testament lesson says God had appointed another man to be king anointing him, making him the anointed one, or in Hebrew, Messiah. This king is descended from Judah, who was promised that the scepter would not depart from him, that he would be ruler forever, and that all the peoples of the world would bring obedience to him. God makes David king, not because of his ruddy appearance, but because of his faith. Faith that trusts God's word. Faith that looks to the Savior who is to come. Faith that realizes God is God, and that he's just a man. David's kingdom begins 
It grows in power and wealth and land. It becomes glorious. It becomes amazing. His son Solomon succeeded him, wisest of all men on earth and also wealthiest. People came from faraway lands just to sit and hear Solomon talk. And faith continues. The temple is built in Jerusalem. The worship of God continues with sacrifices there on the holy hill of Jerusalem. Blood shed so that sin might be forgiven. But when Solomon dies, the kingdom had reached its height. It was divided. Solomon's son was not wise. As a result of his cruelty, half the kingdom seceded and became a separate kingdom that 200 years later was completely wiped out by the Assyrians, gone forever. The remaining kingdom of Judah, ruled by the lesser descendants of the great King David grows weaker and weaker. The worship of the true God with the shedding of blood on the holy hill in Jerusalem is tainted and tarnished by worship of false gods, Baal, Asherah, even by child sacrifice burning babies to appease the false gods. The kingdom of Judah becomes so weak, it becomes a vassal state. First of Egypt's king, Necho II, and then later on to the rising power of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Vast sums of money go not to the worship of God, but to Iraq to keep Nebuchadnezzar's army at bay. You know the last bit of the history. Faith departs from the kingdom of Judah. They did not love God. They rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, who sent a vast army to destroy them. And the last king of Israel, Zedekiah, ignored the word of God preached right into his ear by the prophet Jeremiah. Zedekiah is there as the walls of Jerusalem are breached. He runs away from Nebuchadnezzar's army, escaping to the plains of Jericho, where he's captured. The kingdom of Israel comes to its end, the same place it began, the plains of Jericho. The land God had given to his people was taken from them at the plains of Jericho. And the king, Zedekiah, 
descendant of David. He watches as his son is killed before his own face, right before his eyes are gouged out. The last thing he sees is the death of his son. And he's blinded on the plains of Jericho. He lives out the remainder of his days, a beggar, sitting underneath the table of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Thus the kingdoms of Israel and Judah come to their end at the plains of Jericho, the same place they had made their beginning. The house of David, once a vast tree, now seems to be cut off a stump at the plains of Jericho. The glory and power and wealth of an earlier age was gone forever at the plains of Jericho. But God's promise is still there. Already he had said, a shoot shall come forth from the stump of Jesse, a Messiah who would sit on David's throne, world without end. Could it happen? Could it be fulfilled after everything seemed to be over? That brings us to our gospel lesson, which takes place on the plains of Jericho. Jesus, or in Hebrew, Joshua, comes to the plains of Jericho on his way to Jerusalem, to a holy hill, to be crowned king and to shed his blood. As Jesus enters, the time of the Passover is near. The Good Friday Passover. Jesus will be crowned that day. Not with gold like David and Zedekiah, but with thorns. Jesus will be robed in purple, stained also with the crimson of his blood. He'll sit on a throne, not a fancy, cushy seat, but a cross, rough, Nailed there to die. On that cross, Jesus will make right all the wrongs of all the history and all the people 
who came before him. On that cross, he will forgive the sins of those who love their worldly power more than God, of those who trusted themselves more than God, of those who rejected God's word and worshiped falsely, even in the right places. Jesus, the new king, coronated in Jerusalem, dies to fix all those problems. And he dies also to forgive the sins of all of those who come after. The problems that existed the 1400 years before our Lord did not suddenly disappear once he died and rose. Sin continued, even till today. We've loved ourselves more than God at times. We've trusted our own word more than God at times. We've rejected him with our sin day in and day out. Jesus is coronated king to forgive that sin, to forgive you, to take your guilt away. For those times when you said, I have more important things to do than church, you are forgiven. For those times where you've said, it's only a little thing, you are forgiven. For those times you've gossiped, you're forgiven. For those times you've hated, you're forgiven. All by Jesus, the King. That's why he's come. To go to the cross. In our gospel lesson, Jesus explains this to the disciples there on the plains of Jericho, there at that holy place where the kingdom once began and ended. He says clearly that the Son of Man will do everything written about him in the word. He will be mocked, shamefully treated, spat upon, and after flogging will be killed and rise from the dead to inaugurate God's eternal kingdom. He says it clearly, I'm going to the cross to be your king and forgive you forever. You see what the gospel lesson says? Verse 34, the disciples understood none of these things. The saying was hidden from them. They won't listen to Jesus. Their ears are closed. Even though Christ is right in front of them, they're blind to understanding who he is 
and why he's come. They're blind to the reality of who Jesus is and what he's come to do. He's the true king, the son of David, anointed Messiah, the one who comes to conquer not just the land here on earth, but sin, death, and the power of the devil. He's the king who will rule world without end and will call Christians to be his people. You. That means you. On the way to his coronation on the cross, Jesus stops at Jericho and heals a blind man. The blind man, though he is not able to see with his eyes, sees who Jesus is by hearing the word. Listen to the words that he says. Son of David, Jesus, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. This blind beggar is no evil Zedekiah blinded there at Jericho. He's a poor, nameless beggar who deserves nothing, who's earned nothing, who is not nor ever will be a king. And yet Christ has compassion on him. If he can have compassion on that poor, nameless beggar, won't he have it on you? Of course he will. The true king, Jesus, heals the blind beggar on the way to the throne, the cross. The kingdom is restored. The scepter returned to its rightful place. The sin of the whole world paid for. The sin of wicked kings and unthankful people who rejected God. Blood is poured out for it on the holy hill in Jerusalem. All is made well. Will you listen to Jesus? Will your eyes see who he is? Will you trust his word? Will you watch your king this Lenten season go to the cross? Or will your love of glory, wealth, politics distract you, blind you, close you off? Will you watch as his blood pours out for you, for your forgiveness? Will you have your eyes opened? Will you enter God's kingdom, not through the Red Sea, not through the Jordan River, but through the waters of holy baptism? Will you eat the food of heaven given here from this altar, the Passover meal's very fulfillment in, with, and under bread and wine, the body and blood of Jesus for your forgiveness, for your mercy.
Will you receive God's gifts knowing that as he leaves the plains of Jericho, he goes to die for you, to rise for you, to forgive you because he loves you. He fulfills all of Scripture for you. He's a better king than Zedekiah for you. He's a better king than David for you. He is the embodiment and fulfillment of Joshua for you. He is the Messiah for you. The time is here. Lent is upon us. Soon we will hear the call to repent and to fix our eyes on Jesus, to return to the Lord, to receive all those gifts that he gives to you. He opens your eyes. He conquers your sin. He rules your heart. In him. That's your hope. He's your king. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.